You know, a reality is this, that the way you live your life is an outflow of what you believe. The way you live your life is an outflow of what you believe. The way you walk, that's what the Bible says. The Bible refers to the way you live your life as the way you walk. The way you walk in life reflects what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, uh, your sense of identity, um, who you are let shaping and influence you, and all of these kinds of things. This is, all comes from how we live our life. It, is, it gives everyone a sense of what we believe. If someone were to shadow you for, let's say, 24 hours a day for one month straight, what conclusions would they come to about who you see yourself as, what you believe, and who you have let shape you or influence you? And are you letting the Creator the God who made you, loves you, designed a plan and purpose for life, um, influence you and shape you? Or are you letting the creation, other people and the world, shape you and influence you? Are, are you seeing yourself as just a person of the world or do you see yourself as a beloved child of God? And here's the thing. As children of God, here's one thing we know about children. Children learn a lot by watching and then imitating, right? Right? Like, think about your life. Think about some of the words, phrases that come out of your mouth, some of your mannerisms, some of, you know, different aspects of your life. You can point back to where you've got some of those from your parents, good or bad, right? And if you have kids or grandkids or you're an aunt and uncle, the kids in your life, you also get to see how what you say, what you do, <laughs> influences them and imprints on them and influences and shapes them. Uh, one example, uh, my youngest now, a lot of times will say, question, and then she'll ask a question. And a couple of years ago, I'm like, where did she get that? And then I started listening, and if I'm in the car, if I'm at the table, I'd go, hey, question. I'm like, ah, okay, that's where she picked that from. And so we know that we, we, we watch, we learn, and then we imitate. But who are we imitating? And what are you imitating? That's what we're going to be focusing on for the next few weeks. You know, we started this year, and we're going to continue this year, focusing on the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we summarize it often by saying, Jesus lived the life we could never live perfectly because he was God and man. He died the death we should have died. Our sinfulness and rebellion has put a barrier between us and God. We can't fix it ourselves. But Jesus died on the cross to tear down that barrier so that if we believe in Christ, we can uh, be reconciled back into a relationship with God and have forgiveness. And so Jesus died the death we should have died. And then he was raised, right? We celebrated that last week, the resurrection of Christ. He was raised so that we don't just have the hope of heaven, don't just have forgiveness and, and what's coming in eternity, but also a new life now. And so the gospel shapes every day of our life. And so we've been going through this book of Ephesians and looking at what God has been unpacking for us through Ephesians about the old life before Christ and the new life with Christ. And so that's where we're going to be spending in the next few weeks looking at how we walk, how we walk this out when we're in Christ and the contrast to those who are in Christ and those who aren't and what should be true of those who are in Christ and those that we see aren't in Christ. And so with that, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles again to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5. 
and just looking at the first six verses of chapter five for our guests or if, whether you're online or in the room you haven't been here or, or you haven't been here in a while uh, the book of ephesians was written by a man named the apostle paul under god's guidance to the holy spirit and so this is god writing not just to the original audience there but also to us as well now the original audience were a bunch of Christians living in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Ephesus was in northern Greece. There were a bunch of Christians there, and God was instructing them and encouraging them. But a lot of what you see written in the Bible, you feel like it could be a headline just from this morning or yesterday. Still very relevant as God instructs. And so that, as a backdrop, puts us in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start with verse 1 and go through 6. We see here, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let's unpack what we just read. We see in verse 1, it says, therefore be imitators of God. Well, therefore is a, is a key word. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, we have to remember that when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapters, right? And so this is really a continuation of the content leading up to this moment. And so what's the therefore, therefore? Look back to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you look back in Ephesians chapter 4, what God is doing to Paul is he's talking about the distinctives that will belong to a person who's in Christ, or as we say, has new life in Christ. And so when we come to Christ, we are able to put off the old self and put on the new self. Just like when you come home from a hard day at work and you're dirty or sweaty, you take off the old clothes and then you're washed and then you put on new, fresh clothes. Hopefully, all right? And so um, in the same way, when, when, when we hear about Christ, when we hear about our sin and we admit that we're a sinner and we believe in Christ and commit our way to follow him, what happens is through the power of God and his Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us, he gives us the ability to put off the old self. It's a process called sanctification. Some things fall off immediately. Some things we have to kind of battle for as we grow in becoming more like Christ. So we put off the old self. We're washed, right? We're washed by, it sounds kind of gross, but we're washed in the blood of Christ. We've, we've accepted his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, and then we're able to put on the new self. And so in Ephesians 4, he's unpacking what the new self looks like. He's continuing that thought. It's like, okay, you've put on the new self. Therefore, be imitators of God. And so just like children imitate their parents, we are to imitate God, who's our heavenly father. And the word imitate here literally means to mimic, to mirror. So our ability to love, our capacity to love, and the expression of our love toward others should mimic or mirror or imitate God's love. Now, this is just one aspect of God's character. We, we could probably spend a lot of time building a list of all the things that are true of God and His character. But this text has us focusing on one aspect of His character, that His loving aspect of His character, that God is love. 
We see this in other places in Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, for example, in verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because what are the next three words? God is love. Okay, so God is love. We skip down to 1 John 4, 16. It says, so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And this isn't, by the way, the world's definition of love. This is understanding love from God's perspective. And then, of course, we're saying, that, okay, we're called to imitate God's love. How do we do that? And then what he does in verse 2 is he puts forth an example. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so he says, if you want to know how to love like I love, don't look any further than Jesus and understand the way he loves you and now imitate that, love as Christ loved. Now, I just want to unpack that for a minute because we need to be clear and, and kind of tease this out. So I want to interact a little bit. Those of you online can talk about this in your room with whoever you're with. But those of us in this room, let's just explore what we think about God's love based on what we've read in the scripture and what we know to be true about God. If you were to fill in the blank, God's love is, and you think about how God loves us, the characteristics of God's love, how does God love? So I'm looking for some shout outs, some raised hands, things like that. Sort. So how does God love us? How would you fill in the blank? God's love is what? Let's go. Wow, that was awesome. I got like 20 people in time. Okay, let's start in the back. What is it? Unconditional. That was the first answer in all three services, by the way. Give that man a brownie, okay? All right, um, what else? Never ending. It doesn't stop, it doesn't end, it keeps going, it's eternal. Infinite. Just beyond our understanding, beyond our thinking, right? It's not a love that we can totally comprehend. It's infinite, okay? Unwavering. Unwavering. Oh, I love you less today than I do tomorrow. Or I love you more today. God's love is constant. It's, it's steadfast for us, right? Okay, what else? Perfect. Perfect. It's unflawed in all its ways. What else? What's that? Full of grace. Absolutely. Sacrificial. And that's especially what we see with Christ, right? That he sacrificed himself. Anyone else? One or two more? Compassionate. Compassionate. Ooh, that's the first time today that the word came out. That's great. I love that. Someone last? Um, no, that's a different word. Never mind. Anyone else? Patient. Okay. And we can keep going. So, so look at these words for a second. If, if we know that this is how God loves us, then when you ask other people, hey, do I love like God loves? They would say, Yeah. You love unconditionally. Your love is never ending. Your love is, and they would, that list would start to apply more and more to us. And some of us are going, wow, we're far from where we need to be. And some of those attributes will be unique to God, but God's given us the capacity and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us once we're in Christ to live out his kind of love. Now, let's flip it. If we think that's how the, 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 the God's love is, we all have been raised in the world. See, see we're disciples of Jesus. We're students of Jesus. But at some point in time, and even now, the world is also trying to disciple us and to train us in its ways so that uh, we, we don't follow God. So the world's love, and we know the love of the world and love of God are very different. The world's love is very different. When you think about how the world loves, what are some of the words that come to your mind about how the world loves, all right? The world loves how? Let's go. Shallow. What? Shallow. Shallow. With an anger. There's anger in that love sometimes. What's again? Hate. 
hate. Sometimes the love is actually hateful, okay? Over here. Loud. Freeing? Greedy. That love is greedy, yes. I heard one over here. Okay, say it again loud. Jealousy, all right, a couple more. Self-serving. What was the other one? One more time. Momentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lustful, absolutely. Uh, another word that related to lustful that's right on target with where we're going is sexualized. You know when you're giving and receiving the kind of love the world has when it's sexualized. We're going to see that here in a minute. By the way, all of you have kids. We're going to throw the S word around a little bit today. Nothing graphic, but they're getting that stuff anyway, so it's not going to be new to them, all right? So, so look, at, look at the way the world loves. And there's this contrast. And that's the contrast that God is giving us today. He's saying, imitate me. How? Well, well walk in love as Christ has loved you. And so we look at how Christ is loved. Just to kind of elaborate more, some of these words will be the same. How does Christ love us? Christ-like love sacrifices. Christ-like love forgives. Christ-like love reconciles broken relationships. Christ-like love serves other people. Instead of wanting to be served, we're willing to serve others. Christ-like love encourages. It doesn't tear down. It builds up. Christ-like love speaks truth, not lies. Christ-like love acts on the best interest of others, not on self-interest think about that Jesus died for us and we got the benefit he acted in our interest when he sacrificed himself on the cross and so as we grow in loving like God loves it will be a more and more sacrificial love forgiving love serving love that's what we see here and then what God does is he gives us a contrast now so walk in love as Christ has loved you and then he says but and then he says here's what's unloving Here's what's unloving. Look again at verses 3 and 4 of Ephesians 5. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, right, wanting what doesn't belong to you, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Saints is a biblical term for those who are alive and believe in Jesus. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. It's, a, it's incompatible with the life of a believer. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Summarizing that is, maybe you've never thought about this before. Like when we think about sexual immorality, which we'll unpack here in a second, sexual immorality is actually unloving. Not only is it unhealthy, not only does it hurt us and others when we, when we misuse God's tremendous, beautiful gift of sex and sexuality, when, when we go down the wrong path with it, it's actually unloving. Love as Christ loved, and or don't love like the world loves. And here's one way you'll know it's the world's love. It's sexualized. It's sexually immoral. By the way, the word sexually immoral here is the word pornaya. It's where we get the word pornography. It basically means any expression or activity outside of God's design and intent for our sexuality. Now, obviously, that's a whole other sermon series in itself. This is going to be just, a, just like a tip of the iceberg. But if you want to just know what God says about sexual morality, like what is appropriate, look no further than something Jesus said. If you look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, it was captured there. He said, Have you not read that he, God, who created them, us, from the beginning, made them male and female? 
He said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his, what's the word? Wife. And the two shall become one flesh. See, God gave sex and all sexual expression as an intent to fuse a man and a woman together who have made a covenant, a commitment for life to one another. That's God's design. Anything outside of that design would be classified as sexual immorality. And so the way we think, the way we talk, and how we treat our bodies, and how we treat the bodies of others, all these things are at stake when it comes to this whole thing of sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is this, any sexual activity or expression outside of what Jesus just said. Any expression outside of our biblical understanding of sexuality. So that would include pornography, premarital sex, adultery, sexual relationships with someone of the same sex, lusting sexually after someone. That's that covetousness. Like, I want someone else that doesn't belong to me. Part of that covetousness or greed is, I want something I shouldn't have at this point in my life, or I want it in a way I shouldn't have it. We call it wanting the right thing in the wrong time or the right thing in the wrong way. And so God gave us desire. God gave us passion to desire a man or a woman and to to be united with them in a commitment of marriage. But anytime we let that passion or that desire run rampant and dominate our lives, it takes us off of God's design and that actually becomes unloving and shows that we're actually being discipled by the world, not by God. And he even included speech here, right? Like just inappropriate joking and, you know, the dirty mind, the dirty talk, the dirty appetite, all of these things are covered in the sexual immorality, which is considered unloving. It's probably a new concept for some of us here. Now, what I love here is that as you look at verse 4, as he kind of unpacks a little bit of that whole understanding of sexual morality, he doesn't just say, don't do this. What I love next is he also says, here's one thing you can replace it with instead. So look at verse 4, for example. It says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. See, gratitude is one of the attributes that should mark the life of a believer rather than sexual misconduct. And what happens is we grow in Christ, as we spend time with Christ, and we start to become more like Him and love like Him, we become more content. We become more grateful. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God starts to give us a hunger for holiness. He gives us a, a desire to obey God. And when we follow that, all of a sudden we find ourselves being more grateful instead of discontent and then grasping after all these pleasures and lustful desires that are promising fulfillment but always leave you empty because they're unfulfilling and unloving. What a contrast. What a contrast that God has painted here. And then what God does is he gives us a warning. Which, by the way, warnings are loving, right? When we look at the warnings in the Bible, God's not being mean. He's actually being loving, Like, for example, if you're driving on a mountain road and there's a turn coming up where you can fall off and die, it's a loving sign, it's a loving act for someone to put a sign there that says, you can fall off this road and die. Careful. That's loving. And so what God is saying is, your your sexual desires, your appetite, your lust is, is a strong pull in your life. Don't let it dominate you. And if you do... It means you're actually being pulled away from me. And if you're being pulled away from me, there's physical and spiritual consequences for the life that's dominated in sexual sin. It actually indicates you don't know me, possibly. Because when we come to Christ, we're transformed. If there's no evidence of transformation, 
then there's a warning that we really need to explore, do we know the Lord? And are we obedient to the Lord? So look again at verse 5 of Ephesians 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And what we see here is God threads together this connection of sexual immorality, impurity, um, covetousness as idolatry. And remember, an idol is anything that we set up that we are going to serve rather than God. Anything that we love more than God. Anything that has our affection more than God. And so if I'm more about sexual fulfillment and self-gratification, and I serve that in my life, that's idolatry. I'm not worshiping God. If I'm pursuing and coveting all these desires and urges in my life, and I, and I live to serve my desires, then I'm not living, living to serve God. And so now, it could be very well an indicator that I don't even know God. Now, I want to be very careful here because I don't want any confusion. What God is saying through the Apostle Paul here is a distinction between believer and unbeliever. Those who have new life and those who don't. He's not talking about when we make mistakes. He's not talking about the momentary failures that all of us experience in our life. And so that's, that's just humanity. We still live in a broken, fallen state and a broken, fallen world. We battle with sexual urges and other desires that want to dominate us. And so uh, our life is a battle to, to really grow more like Christ. And there's days we win and there's days we lose. So what he's not talking about is our losses. And here's what's true if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, when you have those failures, guilt, shame, conviction come in, you start to hate the fact that you failed. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like when you fail, you're like, oh, just, I hate that this happened. I hate that this happened again in my life or I surrendered to this urge or whatever it is. And you despise it. And then you come to God and repent and say, God, I'm sorry I, I failed you again. I disappointed you again. Please make me new. Let me walk in my newness. And you just lay that before God and there's conviction and there's repentance and there's a desire to fix and you, go, you come running to God. You might even bring a brother or sister in Christ into Lubus. I need you to pray for me. Here's an area of struggle in my life. That's not what he's talking about here about those who are outside the inheritance of Christ. He's talking about the person who's completely given over to their urges. They are characterized by sexual immorality. That if someone were to follow them 24 hours a day for a month, all they see is a person who lives for their desires and appetites and nothing else. And when they have those moments that would be a failure in the eyes of God, it sounds more like this, no big deal. It isn't anything. I don't care. There's no conviction. There's no remorse. There's no desire to repent. What God's saying here is that that's the state that you're in then you don't have the inheritance. You never surrendered. You're not part of the kingdom yet. But the good news is, if the moment we find ourselves in that place where we go, uh, I'm reading this description and it's, it's really sneakily sounding like me, that's not good. You come to God and say, God, I, I admit this is me. I admit my sinfulness. And you come to Christ and God is always extending forgiveness through Christ. He's always extending new life through Christ. And all you have to do is come to him and then he starts to grow you and help you walk in love, walk in purity, walk in holiness. That's, that's the work of God. He does that for those who come to him. So we need to make sure that this is clear. 
And so a Christian is not going to have a lifestyle of sexual indulgence and being consumed with sexual immorality in word and thought and action because it's going to be out of place. It's incompatible for those who love the Lord. It does not reflect God's character. It's not imitating God's grace and goodness in our life. And the reality is, the more you grow in Christ, the more hungry you're going to be for the things of God. Well, how do we do that? Like, some of you go, okay, I get it. How do I stay walking in love as God just said? The bottom line is, you've got to stay close to Christ. That's why we come back to some of the, the most essential disciplines in our life. Daily time in God's Word. Daily talking to God in prayer. Whether that's 50 times throughout the day we just check in and talk to God and listen or whether it's an hour of intimate time with God in His Word and prayer like in the Word, in prayer, in Christian fellowship one of the quickest ways, most surefire ways to start to distance yourself from God is to let your closest friends be those who are distant from God Uh, I heard this years ago and it just put an imprint on my mind and this has served me well and I share this advice often what you feed grows what you starve dies. So if you're sitting here or you're at home right now and you're going, my, bi- my time in the Bible is starved. My time in prayer is starved. My time hanging out with other people who are trying to grow in Christ is starved. It's not happening. Then it's like there's this death that's happening to you spiritually. You're not going to walk in love. Instead, you have to starve the influences that want to draw you away from God. Feed your soul. Feed your spirit. Time in God's Word, time in prayer, time with other believers. Big fellowship like this, life groups, one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three conversations with other believers where you can really pray for each other and get to the nitty-gritty of what it means to try to follow Christ day-to-day driven by the gospel. That's how we stay close. That's how we start to walk in love. And then we start to love as Christ loved us. Again, Christ's love is sacrificial lays itself down for the benefit of others. It's forgiving. It's reconciling. It will repair broken relationships. It's serving. It's encouraging. It's truth speaking. And it's in the best interest of others. And when we love like this, it unleashes the power of the gospel in our life and into the lives of other people as well. So what do you do with this? Well, I just want to have us reflect and think about where we need to grow in light of what we just talked about. And so here's a couple questions I want to put forth for you today. One is this. What is one way that you think you mimic God's love? What's one way that you are actually imitating God's love? Now, this is not a pat on the back. This is not a a, a bragging. This is you saying, God has done this in my life. This is one of the ways he's taught me how to love like he's loved because he's in my life and he's in my heart. So what's one way you think you imitate God's love? I I think for me, um, it's, it's forgiving. This is not by my own doing, but just by God's grace, uh, when people hurt me, whether it's been deeply or shallowly, God tends to give me either the quick ability to forgive or the eventual ability to forgive, and they're not on my hook anymore. They're on God's hook. That's not not my doing. That's God doing. Please don't test that. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to hurt Pastor Chad. (laughs) See if that forgiving thing's still working, you know? It is a work in progress. (laughs) I think God's helped me with that. If you're having a struggle trying to identify this, here's some homework for you. Ask someone who knows you well. Ask a couple people who know you well. Hey, our pastor taught out of Scripture about you know, imitating God's love in our life. How would you see me imitating God's love as you look at my life? 
Ask them and see what they have to say. Here's the other side. What's one way you can grow in imitating God's love? What's an area of your life you go, man, I, I know I'm not loving like God is. I know the way God loves me isn't translating into the way I love others yet. This is a weak area. Uh, what would you put there? I think for me, it's the sacrificing piece. Man, I can be a selfish sucker. You know, whether it's the TV show, the remote control, what we're going to do with free time, who's going to eat the last donut, you know? <laughs> like, man, I want it, right? And so I think, I think that's still the work where I need to learn to sacrifice for the benefit of others because we're so self-serving by nature. And that still wants to root itself in my life. But by the grace of God, I think he's, he's working on that. I need to grow in that area. What would you say about yourself? And just some of you that might be watching or in this room, as, as I've talked about this, it's just become very evident. You aren't in Christ. Maybe you live as a slave to your passions. Maybe you've just never said yes to Jesus. I just want to offer you the next step. We call it the ABCs of believing and faith. You just admit that you're a sinner and that you're far from God, you tell God this. This is what you tell God. And then you profess a belief in Jesus, that his death on the cross and his resurrection of the grave is God's solution to your broken relationship with him, and you believe in Christ, and then you commit your life to following him. And if you've never done that before, you can just pray that right now. Sometime in the next two, three minutes as we're worshiping out, you can just pray that. And if you do, please let us know. Uh, text us at our response number the word believe like today I believe in Christ and we'll get you some next steps about how to grow in your relationship with Jesus so you too can experience this new life in Christ so that's where we're at so what I want to do is I just want to take what we've talked about and I want us to take this to prayer so would you just stand with me as we worship and let's just pray about this and give this to God okay let's pray Father you've called us to learn by imitating you and your love is perfect and your love is holy and you, you've sacrificed for us, you've forgiven us in Christ. Lord, your love is, is absolutely stunning and you've called us to imitate you but we don't always do that well. We confess that. God, we have so far to go. We have so much to still learn and apply in our life. God, help us to walk in love. In fact, I just want to give you a few seconds here. Would you just talk to God? Maybe you're going to give your life to Christ. Maybe you just want to thank God for the love He's given you for others that is supernatural. Maybe you just need to take time to confess and ask God to grow you in a way that you try to imitate His love. Would you just take a minute and just tell God what you need to tell God in this moment about this? God, you've given us these lives to glorify you. You've given us these lives, not for self-indulgence, not for selfish pursuit of pleasure and not to be mastered by our desires and our, our urges and our passions but Lord to bring it all under submission to you all under obedience to you God you have good things for those who obey and for those who try to pursue you in their lives so God help us to walk in love help us to love as Christ loved us we ask in Jesus name we all said together